0: Hey, it's Jeff. Bit of homework before I share this important conversation with you. First, my next quotes book, Q Manifestations on Trauma, Truth, and Transformation, will be available for pre-order in the coming weeks on Amazon and most everywhere else. I really like this book. It's helpful for anyone on a healing path, a purpose-seeking path, a rebraving path. And I'm only into the third week of a 42-week enrealment method process on my new Substack page called the Enrealment Newsletter for anyone who wants to engage in a no-bullshit, depthful, and grounded adventure of self-creation. Easy to get caught up anytime, and to benefit from the exercises and the insights at the heart of the course. So check it out if you're interested. Speaking of heart, following dialogue, I talk with a kind of living legend with respect to matters of the heart. Binovshe Sayad is a Persian master, sacred dancer, choreographer, transformational teacher, activist, and founder of Dance of Oneness. A deeply profound and highly accessible spiritual teacher of embodiment, Banafsheh performs and teaches internationally initiating people into the wisdom of their bodies. Her signature style of holy wildness, infused with ancient wisdom, activates transformation and illumination in all those who watch her and dance with her from around the globe. Badafshe invites the dancer within to remember, reclaim, and resource the innate healing intelligence spiraling in us and all around us. Her easeful instruction and welcoming spirit empowers students from all stages of life to feel a true sense of belonging in their bodies and passion in their lives by integrating wisdom teachings from throughout the ages. She's among the few bearers of authentic Persian dance in the world and a pioneer in creating a liberated feminine expression in the Sufi dance genre previously performed only by men. Her modality, Dance of Oneness, is dance as a spiritual path and science of embodiment. It's a fusion of three dimensions, the art of dance, rigorous technique and self-expression, healing and wisdom teachings. Banafshe has a Master's of Fine Arts in Dance and Choreography from UCLA and a Master's in Chinese Medicine. Her award-winning work has been presented in North America, Europe and Australia. Her dance film, In the Fire of Grace, with my friend Andrew Harvey, traces Rumi's journey of the soul in dance. Visit danceofoneness.org if you're interested for more information. In this inspiring conversation, we discuss the tragic recent death of Masa Amini and the Iranian revolution that has ensued. Badovsheh shares her Iranian background. The details of recent events, the courage that is taking root within Iran. And we talk about the kind of re-braving and re-embodiment that must happen so that we can see through abusive power and effect real change. What is happening in Iran is utterly essential if we're going to make strides in the direction of a true equality on this planet. It's a battle that must be waged there and most everywhere that abusive power takes root. And while supporting this revolution, let us not be blinded to the ways that abusive power permeates every society, one way or the other. Not just in the most blatant examples like Iran, but also in the West, where political and economic forces work together to mislead and manipulate humanity to serve their own narcissistic and despotic goals. Diversionary cliches, manipulated optics, celebrity culture, actually anything that is not emanating from a meritocracy, may not be as palpably abusive as morality police wandering the streets of Iran telling people what to wear and how to live. But they are all abuses and manipulations of power that reflect a truly unevolved consciousness. Those who transform and evolve developmentally and with respect to their life purpose have no interest in abusing power at the expense of others. All they want to do is make the world a kinder and more fair-minded place. Those who do abuse power to satisfy their economic and egoic goals are the bane of our collective existence and stand in the way of true human advancement. So, by all means, support the revolution in Iran. But also look closely at the world you live in and ready yourself to call out the abuses of power before you. For example, the politico who trumpets freedom of expression as cover for his true nature as an abuser of power, or the one who sings the praises of gender equality so that his historical abuse of women gets more easily forgiven when it's exposed. And the employer, who promotes the boys' club rather than those women who have actually earned the right to advance. And the narcissistic parent, who doles out punishment to those who refuse to bow down before him. And the mainstream medical doctor, who refuses to integrate alternative medical knowledge that would allow him to better serve his patients. And the bullshit artist guru, who justifies his wrongdoing under the guise of awakening and the religious leader who hides his sexually assaultive nature behind pomp ceremony and the idiotic claim that he is channeling God's word. He isn't. He's just another grifter in a costume. God help us or better yet. Let's help ourselves. Let's live up to our own godly standards in the way that we fight for our right to the light and in the ways that we protect and support others who are being abused by power and by those who long for it. So when you listen to this conversation, I invite you to reflect on all the myriad ways that abuse of power has taken root in your life, your history, and the world before you. See it. Own it. Speak it and challenge it wherever possible. From the most subtle abuses to the most egregious ones, like that which happened to Masa Amini, we must re-brave ourselves and do away with abusive power in all its forms. Then, only then, can we live the beautiful and heartfelt lives that we were born to live. So let's start the conversation just a little bit of Trevor Hall's song, Arrows, to set the stage. Arrows of the heart, indeed.
1: This journey's got me bleeding, a certain kind of feeling.
0: Hey, Binovsheh. It's, um, it's good to be with you tonight. Thanks for doing this.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Great to be with you.
0: Thank you. So I wanted to, I connected with you because I I found myself feeling very emotional about what's happening in Iran, the death of Masa Amini uh, and the circumstances around it, the lies that have been told about it and the obvious reality of what's occurred. And I thought maybe I'd just like to start by reading a quick quote from my book, Spiritual Graffiti, about about spiritual activism because I think that's what's called for in this and so many other situations that are revealing themselves to us in our world. Um, so this is from page 120. I'm not sure where we got the idea that spirituality must be softy, toffy, gentle, and never include anger. This is a perversion of real spirituality, yet another recipe for repression, denial, and destruction. This is not to say that all anger is good anger. My spirituality doesn't include unhealthy anger, attacks on innocence, arbitrary, judgments, passive aggression, but it does include healthy anger, justified anger, transformational anger, spiritual activism. In fact, I'm certain that we will not create the world of divine possibility that many spiritualists long for unless we get angry about the injustices that many of us face. There is needless conflict and there is healthy conflict. The distinction lies in its intentions. It's time to raise healthy anger to the rafters of acceptability in the spiritual community, and I would say in every community. If you feel that a consciousness model is doing damage to humanity, get angry about it. If you feel that a guru is abusing his authority, get angry about it. If you feel that corporate structures are destroying our planet, get angry about it. And I'll add this, if you feel that the patriarchy is imprisoning and dehumanizing women, get angry about it. There is nothing evolved about repressed expression. Spirituality without conflict isn't spirituality at all. It's a flight from reality. The spiritual activist understands what has to be done, and he and she does it. Close quote. Now of course Andrew Harvey coined the phrase spiritual activism. I just love that so much. It's just you know, I love playing with language. I mean sacred activism works for me too, but I think it's important for us to understand that we've lost millions and billions of people who perceive spirituality to be something dissociated and disconnected from the human experience as though enlightenment can exist independent of what we're going through on earth um, and Of course, my view is a much more grounded view of spirituality that it's it's all part of the spiritual field, and that we have to get our hearts on our sleeves and our boots on the ground and change the way that this world is organized so with that in mind. Perhaps just share with us to begin with your perspective on what's happening right now in Iran and any bit of historical context that would be helpful for the listener.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for what you read. Um, that's that's. Uh, I totally believe in that too. I, I feel like um, spirituality, once true spirituality, actually manifests in how we are in the world, how we act in the world. And to make a distinction between the material world and so-called spiritual world or the invisible in the way that, you know, really creates a duality is, is not something I subscribe to. When we live in oneness or strive to, then what we're striving for is to not make this distinction and to really live whatever spiritual attainment we have achieved, whatever kind of state we have attained, to, to live that, to share that, and to let that guide us in, in how we live in the world, how we interact with one another. To answer your question about Iran, you know, for the last 43 years since the Islamic revolution happened in Iran and um, the Shah of Iran, the the government, the monarchy was overthrown, what this government has shown, what this regime has shown over time, and really, from the very beginning, uh, was that it is intolerant of any free thinking, intolerant of any, the slightest criticism, intolerant of people who want to, to live a more free life, have freedom of expression, have freedom in, in terms of how you want to appear in public, especially women. And, they've oppressed any kind of dissent they've murdered people they have imprisoned them for countless years they've they've committed executions and any time there was any kind of group re- revolt any kind of group protest demonstrations they were oppressed immediately they were people were were killed. The protesters were killed. And so basically, the regime sent this message of fear to people that if you dare to go against us, we will kill you. There is no room for that. They based all of that on Islam. They said that this is the word of God. If you go against us, you're going against God. You know, this was their stance for 43 years. But what happened when Masson Amini was murdered, it was like a spark. The sentiment of knowing that this government was ruthless and there was, you know, people didn't have their basic human rights and the majority of people live in abject poverty. All of this was the sentiment, of course, and it was brewing, The the, the dissent was brewing, but what happened with Masson Amini, her murder was like a spark that all of a sudden um, was a fire went out that cannot be, cannot be put down. And uh, Jeff, I mean, I'm sure you've heard about uh, her and what happened and all of those details. But what was very am- amazing to me when first I heard her story like that, you know, that day that we heard about what had happened to her. And um, the story that ensued, I was just really blown away from because from the very beginning I felt like, wow, this person whose whose Kurdish name means life, Jina means life. It was like it was she was like a call from the from the heart of the Great Mother, telling us like, pay attention, pay attention, wake up. You know her initials Ma So I mean is Ma M A. So many coincidences, uh, so many serendipities, sort of showed that to be the case, and and she's still the one. Everyone is this the, this whole revolution that is underway is in her name. It's very profound. I feel like she she was a great soul that came in for this, Jeff, like a really evolved soul.
0: If you look back on the forty three year period and the various ways in which the voice of dissent has been horrifically repressed, uh, of course. This can't be the first time that the morality police showed up and gave somebody attitude for not wearing a hijab properly and then ultimately one way or the other exterminated them. What's different now? Is it what's happening in the collective on a species-wide level? We are all not only tired of abusive power but actually ready to finally do something about it or is it Something much more specific to what was bubbling up within Iran around itself.
1: Well, both of those things, Jeff. I mean, this was bubbling up and it was like this was the, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. This was like the the thing, you know, similarly, uh, you know, what we witnessed in in the U.S. with the murder of uh, George Floyd. That wasn't the first time, but it was like that was the time when, when the masses were just like, this is we've had enough of this. And I think also just just the, um, astrologically also, you, you can also see that there's a lot of just revolution and going against a system that doesn't work. That's just sort of in the astrology it has been to really rise up against um, systems that no longer are serving, serving the people.
0: Do you feel as though the repressive system and the repressive structure there, one way or the other will? will always find a way to cap it? Or is there some way in which this feels like it's just not going to stop until the system has been dismantled?
1: Oh, yes. This time, you know, you see what has happened this time that is really, really unique and has not been the case at all in the past 43 years and even maybe all longer than that, is that there is a unity between people. First of all, there's a unity among Different tribes in Iran, different you know, different look regions of Iran have really come together with one voice. We want this regime to go. So there's a unity there that we have not witnessed before in this way. And people from different political views coming together in Iran, and then we see that outside of Iran for the first time in 43 years, people. From, with different political views coming together from every corner of the world where, you know, Iranians have gone, you know, as refugees, have immigrated to, they, you know, we have come together uh, beyond our political differences. That's something we have never seen before. This level of unity, this level of really rising up, everyone, every one of ever us saying, what can I do? What can I do? To ensure that we we topple this regime, to ensure that we send this regime on its way.
0: In terms of the support of other nations, do you feel disappointed with, for example, America and Canada and other prominent countries, the way they've responded to this? Or do you feel like they're actually helping to somehow influence the direction?
1: I am disappointed. But they have taken action, especially Canada, I would say, has taken uh, action. But what we see more is that they're just, it's just in rhetoric. You know, they just say, the U.S. especially, they just say we support the freedom fighters, we support the people who are protesting, but they really don't do much. You know, one thing that, for example, the European countries can do is really close down um, the Iranian um, embassies in their countries and close down their own embassies in Iran and and recall their ambassadors. They're not doing that. None of them, it hasn't happened at all. There's been a lot of talk. And today, you know, was important. I- Iranians from all over Europe um, went to Strasbourg, France, where the European Parliament was meeting and what they're considering Their meeting is from today through through Thursday, I believe. Um, And what they're going to be discussing in, in, in in regards to Iran is to put the Iranian Revolutionary Guard on the terrorist list. And this Revolutionary Guard has been really killing Iranians inside and outside of Iran and funding so many different terrorist groups in the Middle East. So to put them on the terrorist list is is a really, really important move that will not just be to the benefit of Iran and Iranians, but to the world. Because this yeah. is one of the biggest organizations that funds terrorism worldwide.
0: I happen to believe that any politic that um disenfranchises, undermines, and diminishes the notion of equality for women is on some level or another a terrorist organization, quite apart from whatever it is they're sponsoring worldwide. I know in Canada, the Conservative Party, now led by um, Pierre Pouliver, who has been very strong in his position that they need to be declared a terrorist organization. And of course, Trudeau and the Liberal Party are absolutely refusing to do that, and they've made no steps in that direction. It's uh, quite a strange and horrifying thing that even in a so-called Western democracy, there would be any question about this.
1: Isn't that I I, I can't understand
0: it. It makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, how is this not a terrorist on all kinds of levels organization? There's no basis for a dispute or a debate unless you have, you know, some particular agenda, whether it's economically or politically or I suppose religiously to not define it as such. But it's um, feels heartbreaking to me that this would even be an issue.
1: It is so heartbreaking, you know, a a government that has executed four innocent people without a proper trial, you know, not allowing them to have attorneys of their own choice and really no proper trial at all. Any government would think that this is acceptable. It's, It's wild to me, Jeff, that we, that people living in the world don't feel that when something like this happens anywhere, that it's happening to us. It's our responsibility to stand up. It doesn't have to happen in your own neighborhood or to your own family for you to stand up and say that this is wrong. This is unjust. You know, just, you know, today's Martin Luther King Jr. Day that we're talking. And as he said, you know, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere.
0: Absolutely. I know that my soul won't rest until everybody is safe and sounding, capable and allowed to express their. Their voice. I mean, it doesn't take very much in the way of an empathic process to imagine yourself being a 22 year old woman who's, you know, accosted by a morality police and ultimately perishes because you refuse to wear a hijab the way that they want you to. This is not hard to imagine happening to me or happening to somebody else around me. And I don't know if it's a function of how. Completely worn down and overstimulated and diminished. Most people in this world are by power-broking systems that are benefiting forever from the human malaise that people just don't have the energy for empathic process. I mean, I really believe there's a much bigger thing happening here around why it is that people don't respond in the way that I think they ought to respond to injustices. I think that part of it is very real. And, you know, people just get so bloody comfortable in this ridiculously materialistic version of reality in the West that it's just a very far big step from that state of consciousness to imagine themselves in this kind of an experience. It's not difficult for me to imagine because I've endured all kinds of abuses of power in my life, but people forget or they want to forget and they want to pretend it's not real because they don't want to remember perhaps in some ways their own experiences in their lives with various forms of abuse of power.
1: Could be, could be. And then that, you know, that's true of, of a big percentage of the population in Iran. You know, but it's mostly very young people who are out on the streets. They keep calling for bigger numbers to come out. The people who are not coming out, they're, they're fearful. You know, they're afraid and they say, okay, every time that there has been any dissent, this government has quelled it. So what's the point? Let's just live our lives. I mean, it's awful, but they just kinda of get used to it. They just kind of, you know, go around what could present as inconveniences to them, mm-hmm. which is outright injustice. Mm-hmm. But Jeff, what is happening in Iran right now impacts everyone in the way that this government has been mismanaging the environment to such a incredible degree That there is a drought and there is, you know, people don't have gas. This is this is the Iran is the second country in the world that has natural gas resources after Mm -hmm. Russia. It's Iran, but they cannot provide for their own people. You know, people are freezing. They don't have any gas. They can warm their homes. And everyone's going, what is happening? What, where is our gas? It's because they don't know how to, the, you know, the, the specialists have either left the country or they're in prison. So they don't have any, any qualified people taking care of things like that. The currency has hit rock bottom. Everything that you can imagine is going wrong. Mm-hmm. So even the people who were afraid to, you know, side with the, with the protesters who, you know, really came out after Maso I Amini's mean, uh, murder, even they are finding it harder and harder to remain quiet because they can't even have their basic rights. They can't even have, they can't even live a basic life of just, you know, have, being able to warm your home and have a hot meal and clean water. You know, Just the basic things.
0: Well, so I, th- I think when a country is led by sort of religious symbologies rather than effective administrators, eventually things have to fall apart because they're, these people aren't qualified to deal with practical matters outside of the religious realms. Yeah. So I heard about this. I saw the images. I saw the initial stages of this revolution. I felt alive to it and hopeful about it and enraged about it. And, you know, I, I mean, I have my own abuse of power situation I'm working through here in Canada. That's part of why I'm Even more activated than usual when I confront abusive power scenarios worldwide. And I know that that's my personal piece in it. But then I felt sort of powerless. I felt like, well, I'm sharing things on Instagram and that's fine. And it's, you know, and I put something up on my Substack. An Iranian woman just wrote a piece and had to be an anonymous person, of course, sharing details of their experience living in Iran. But on a very real, tangible level, if this revolution is going to actually result in some kind of transformation in the direction of a democratic structure, what can I do? Really Requestion. do. Like what yeah. can I really do? Like not talking the talk and not acting like a real cool guy who's into causes, but actually do something that's going to affect change on a tangible energized, really meaningful level? What can I and the large number of people that support my work actually do to make this finally happen?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for all you are doing. I have to say that I'm grateful. I really am. Because where we live, I live in LA, you live in Canada. You don't need to say anything. You have your own comfortable life, right? You don't need to say anything. But the I, fact but that of course you, I do.
0: But of course I do.
1: That's right. the thing. The, the, the fact that you feel that way, I'm grateful to you for that. Because it means that you're able to think beyond yourself. The kids who are going out on the streets in Iran and willing to risk their lives, they are moved by a vision way bigger than themselves. They're giving their life for freedom and basic human rights for all of Iran and beyond when you're moved by something like that an energy enters into you that is just uncontrollable mm-hmm. so when you and uh, the people that follow you take any step in this direction where you're really coming to the aid of people that are all the way on the other side of the of the world when you speak on their behalf you will also be supported by the universe. You will also receive the blessings of having done what you're doing, you know, amplifying the, the situation. So what I would say to you is to continue talking about it, to talk to everyone about it. There are still people who don't know that, that this is happening. Um, they don't know the details. And as gruesome as it, as it is, it is our world and we all need to know. And we all need to really take a stance do you support this do you support this kind of action in in our world this is our world all of it all of it is our is our home not just where you're from not just your immediate community is Absolutely. this what you want in your world in our world and if you don't stand up say something join the you know join the protests in the streets but more important than even joining protests in the streets for you know non iranians is to write to your government officials, demand that they do something, demand that they cut ties with the Islamic Republic and their enablers. Jeff, their their enablers live among us. And they have been for 43 years, they have been involved in propaganda, giving this regime a, a good face in the world, creating a mask that showed, oh, this is like, you know, this is what the people of Iran want. You know, the majority of people want this kind of, government, they want to live this way, to expose that, to expose their enablers and expose them and demand the government officials in your community, city, the country to do something about it, to take a stance, to pass legislation that curbs their interaction with this regime and stops the, stop the you know, money going back and forth. all the deals that this government has with the different governments in the world, especially Mm -hmm. in the West.
0: Mm -hmm. I've been inside of my own experience as of late and, and sort of not only studying myself, but studying how other people react to my situation, just like you're discussing how people react to that situation. And what I've come to realize, and it's quite haunting and startling to me, is that we have collectively, wherever we live, been what I refer to as unbraved as a collective. Abusive power systems exist, of course. This malevolent patriarchy exists in spirituality, the religious world, the marketing world, the economic world, the political world, every single system. And it seems to me that no matter what work we do on a grassroots level to grow, evolve, move in the direction of what you call the dance of oneness, it doesn't make a difference if we don't deconstruct, shatter, and recreate these structures and systems that hold humanity down. Um, and I feel like we are at a collective tipping point where we're either going to be permanently unbraved as a species, with the exception of a very small percentage of the world, usually men, who will benefit economically, religiously, spiritually, and politically, or we're going to get rebraved instead of unbraved and somehow find our way despite all of our collective experiences with abuse of power. And, you know, I understand why older people say don't bother because they've experienced so much more abuse of power in many cases than the young people have. And they've learned that there's just absolutely nothing you can fucking do about it. I don't believe there's nothing you can do about it because there are so many more of us than there are of them. But the key to the whole game is the whistleblower. The key to everything is the supporting of the whistleblower. And Andrew Harvey and I have discussed this in my first podcast was in Railman. We talked about this. Because if we don't support the whistleblowers, then the ones who see through, who have the information, who know what's really going on, then nothing's going to happen that's going to activate anger and energize the population to actually do some of the deconstructive systems. So for me, Masa Amini is a whistleblower, right? I mean, in a way, she she's an exposer, she stands it down, she refuses to engage, she won't participate with something as preposterous as a morality police. I mean, I don't even know what to do with the notion of a fucking morality piece, police wandering the streets looking for somebody to dominate and control. And to alter their behavior, it just seems unimaginable to me. But I also understand, even living in Canada, where I think various things are happening with respect to cancel culture and all the rest of it, we also have the energy of morality police now entering into our awareness. And I think the question for me is, how do we rebrave humanity so that we get our hearts on our sleeves and our boots on the ground and spot abuse of power every? I mean, if you really go for a drive wherever you live. Just drive around, look at marketing manipulation, billboards, look at what's happening interactively between two people in a car, look at what's happening in the corporation you work in, look at what's happening obviously politically and economically, spiritually and religiously. You will see abuse of power every 17 seconds. Now, it's overwhelming. I totally get that. But at the same time, if we don't figure out how to work together, co-create a different reality where we're rebraved rather than unbraved and start staring down and pushing our way through all of these broken power broker systems, I don't think the species is going to survive. A very tiny fragment of so-called elitists will float away to wherever it is they've built some kind of something up there while the species can no longer thrive on the planet. But I think the time is now for us to get really active. And I think what's happening in Iran is only one particular place where this has to happen, And if we can all just get our energy behind it, that energy will spill over into tearing down and dismantling abuse of power systems everywhere.
1: That's absolutely true. It's starting there. It's starting there. It's starting in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. This is where the abuse of power is at its most. I mean, there's probably other most obvious. There are probably other places that are terribly, you know, you witness abuse of power, just like you said, we see it everywhere around us. And there are other governments that are Mm -hmm. brutal as well. But these two locations looks like it's like one of the two of the toughest corners of the world where there's abuse of power and especially toward women. Mm -hmm. So when these two countries, um, I mean, when Iran frees itself, Afghanistan will also Syria, Lebanon, all of that region and the world, because it's like if if the darkest place, if the toughest, most Mm -hmm oppressed place can Mm. do this we can all do this Mm. and that's why it's so important like you said to really rally behind these freedom fighters jeff i mean they're so impressive consistently shocked at their their bravery because they they're they're just saying we're not afraid of anything we're not even afraid of death you know they say the entire country is a prison don't scare us about sending us to prison even though, you know, going to prison means torture, being beaten, being raped, as you probably have heard, just the most gruesome, uh, outrageous things that they do, even despite of that, they're on the streets, they're not stopping. And we, you know, outside of Iran are not stopping either.
0: I mean, you wonder if the United Nations really ever really meant anything. But but if it does, if it has some meaning, why there isn't a coalition of forces that go into places like this where women are being treated like this and they absolutely go into armed conflict with these individuals and entities so that to me if we're going to really imagine the world of divine possibility we should have to fight for it and so why isn't our notion of something called a united nations why isn't the basic level of activation for example as one example being the way that women are treated in a particular country. And if they're treated in horrific ways, thrown into prisons because they dare to have a voice, raped in these prisons by these horrifying creatures, why aren't we going to war over that?
1: Well, one of the reasons is, you know, the the disaster that has happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. I think that that kind of is a warning to organizations like the United Nations, do we really want to do this and then create that kind of chaos that comes after it? All of this needs to be really treaded carefully. But the other thing, uh, Jeff, is at least now people in the West are listening to us a little bit because before when we would bring up the issue of, you know, the Islamic fundamentalist repression that is happening, people, especially the, uh, you know, the liberals would be like, oh, don't say that about Islam. Are you Islamophobic? And it's like yes, we are Islamophobic. We have great phobia from Islam because we've experienced what it can do Mm -hmm. to a society. We would be branded that way. It would be like, are you being intolerant to Islam and not listen?
0: Are they being? Are these liberals being intolerant of fucking reality?
1: Yeah, exactly. But now that the way the
0: world really works, of course they are
1: and now they can't really at least i'm not hearing that as much you know at least now they're saying oh okay that maybe these people who you know have been up saying something for this last 43 years maybe now we should listen to them a little bit and not just say you're being islamophobic and you know this is one interpretation of islam that's the fundamentalist all of this stuff is being questioned now which which i'm very
0: Well, they're they're fundamentalists. They're fundamental cases is what they are. And I think what you're talking about is being justifiably phobic of the patriarchal interpretation of Islam.
1: Well, I don't know if this is a topic for our conversation here now. I I just really want uh, to encourage everyone to question uh, the Abrahamic religions period and not say, oh, it's a fundamentalist interpretation. And that is doing this. The essence of it is something else. Well, perhaps the essence of it is this let 's question it let 's uh, like really look at it
0: because I, I, I was reluctant to say that, but
1: no, please do? don't be reluctant to say that that's <laughs> what I absolutely believe in, and that 's the reluctance, Jeff that we need to be cautious about. We need to be careful with that because we are uh, sort of at least spirituality in, a, in, a, in, in um, to a great degree does pardon religion a lot, way too much. Right. To to say, oh, at the heart of all these religions is love. Is like, is it that's really? That's not true. That's not true. Is it really? Let's it let's spend some time, time with the
0: book. Yeah, let's get inside the books and see yeah. if that's in fact true. No, I agree. Yeah, with
1: let's, you. And, and, and the way people are practicing it. Let's look at it, please. Why is it that in Afghanistan and Iran and Syria, why is it that Daesh and Hezbollah and the Taliban are sort of the same? Yeah. Why? Is it only because they have a wrong interpretation of Islam or is it in the doctrine itself? I happen to think it is.
0: You know, it's it's I was going to ask you earlier than I backed off internally. I was going to say, I mean, is there, you know, they, they rely on the book as a justification for this horrible behavior towards women. Is there something in the book? That, I mean, not as a matter of interpretation. I mean, you can always do that. But something literally in that book that actually justifies this behavior.
1: I think that the hijab isn't mentioned in the Quran, right? It's, it's not mentioned that women need to wear the hijab, but um, it, it's sort of what, um, what became the practice. And, and I don't think in the Quran you come across a, you know, a woman is a property of the man the way it is practiced. You don't really see that. You don't really get that. But there's so many instances of, of real aggression and real violence toward whoever doesn't want to live by these words you know so there's so much of that that then justifies all of these behaviors you know there there is mention of how a woman of god would be modest right (laughs) so then that modesty can be interpreted in different ways ways, right yeah Uh, so there's just a lot of it that is problematic very problematic
0: i mean i think that most religions seem to move from the premise that it's Big Daddy in the sky. So just starting from Big Daddy in the sky, then you've already got a problem.
1: And and Jeff, and the Abrahamic religions, none of them say that divinity lies within. That's blasphemy.
0: Yeah, because they, they, they don't want they don't want to empower you. So they, they want no. you to be beholden to them. They want you to be God, jectifying their system rather than.
1: Yeah, they want inside. you to be small and yeah. unworthy yeah. and worthless, yeah. so yeah. that you are in need of a broker to tell you what well, this is. What this punishing God wants you to do, so that Absolutely. you wouldn't be punished. It's control. Any, yeah, any doctrine that says that is just completely suspect. Any doctrine that doesn't say that the human being is divine free and sovereign and able to be great any of that is suspect
0: absolutely and that's A-T-T. just as true for patriarchal spiritual structures which is most of them and it's also true for marketing and political structures i think all of these systems seem to be designed if you look very closely at them i've looked very closely in the spiritual world the world grounded spirituality about deconstructing that whole these whole, these systems and It really is my belief that all these systems seem to have been developed around the idea that we're nothing and something else is something and we're beholding to it and we bow down before it. And on one level or another, we look to it to give us meaning, to to provide sense of identification and direction. And if we're centered, solidified, self-possessed, organized around our sacred purpose, alive to our path and our purpose, first of all, the world becomes quite a bit less violent because the last thing you want to do when you find your path and purpose and you're self-possessed is hurt anybody and those systems fall apart because absolutely nobody wants to buy what they're selling. So
1: And you nobody needs that. Yeah. Nobody yeah. needs we don't, that anymore. We don't need
0: it. We don't need it anymore. No, absolutely. Yeah.
1: That's why mm-hmm. dance is so suspect to all of these systems because dance puts you in touch with, you know, the divinity within and puts you in touch with this sense of freedom where you don't need a broker anymore you don't need someone saying oh well let me tell you how to you know feel good or how to connect with with the divine you just you just are that
0: that's the real dance of oneness i love that oneness. when did you leave iran
1: we left iran the first time before right before the 1979 revolution we left mm-hmm. in 78
0: how old were and you
1: i was 10 Mm -hmm. We lived in, we we went to England and it was supposed to be temporary and just returned to Iran. Many of the, my father is a filmmaker, uh, a very famous filmmaker, actor, theater director, writer. He and his um, group of friends and just the intelligentsia who weren't necessarily um, revolting against the Shah. They weren't necessarily in that movement. They also somehow had hopes that this, change would be a good change because they faced some censorship in their work and um, they felt like, okay, maybe this new government. I, I have no idea how so many of these very, very, you know, these intellectuals, these artists thought that the, that the mullahs, that the ayatollah, that the Islamic, an Islamic regime would be what would save us from what was previously, um, the, the regime in Iran. I have no idea how they could even possibly entertain something like that. Mm-hmm. But they did. Um, so we thought we would return and, um, it wasn't possible. All kinds of things happened that prohibited us from doing that. But I did return with my mother and sister a few years later in 1981 so i was there during this government's time and uh, iran iraq war actually as well so i absolutely experienced the morality police i did have to wear the hijab i did have to
0: mm-hmm. in
1: school every morning chant death to america death to russia death to israel we had to do that every morning yes mm-hmm. so yes like just the systematic brainwash uh, brainwashing of children is you would be shocked
0: i think i would be Is there part of you that wishes that you could be there now for this?
1: Absolutely. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was so set on going not too long ago. People around me were like, do you want to add your name to yet another person? We're going to have to ask to be freed from prison because you arrive at the airport. You're going to be directly escorted to prison, A, because of dance, and B, because of my father. He's been, for the last 43 years, very vocal, one of the only people. Now, you know, now many have joined him, but he was almost a lone rider for the longest time, Jeff. Never halting in exposing what this regime is about and what they're mm-hmm. doing. So he him. was um, for many times on on their hit list and he had to be watched by the FBI. They had to look after him as the government was out to get him.
0: Dad's still, your dad's still around? Yes. And still vocal, it sounds like.
1: Very vocal and very hopeful. That um we will actually be able to return, you know many of us had actually given ho- given up hope, I have to say, so many of us were so surprised by what has happened and what is happening. We thought that this is it
0: I mean, we're hearing various reports about you know numbers, hundreds, even thousands of people being put into prison as a result of this revolution, and a number of people being killed. You mentioned only four, I've heard far higher numbers than that. do you
1: no do no, you no, have no. no, let me explain to you. Four people have been executed, Uh executed, but 500, Uh, more than 500 have been killed on the streets. More than 70 children are in in that list. Between 18 to 20,000 are in prison. uh They arrest you for things like putting up an Instagram story about something like, oh, so-and-so was killed or so-and-so was detained. They can take you for that. They will come and take you for that. They will take you for this one guy was arrested because he was showing a recipe for a dish that they thought, okay, this was like covertly in code saying something. People are arrested for not wearing the hijab. People are arrested for medical personnel are arrested for giving aid to injured protesters, lawyers, journalists, doctors, nurses, teachers. School kids in jail, 14-year-olds. And then they're charged with waging war against God.
0: Oh, for God's sakes.
1: The kids that are killed on the streets, even the ones who were executed, the regime resisted giving their body to their parents because they know that um, funerals and memorials become another site of protest. So parents don't even get to get their child's body and, and funerals are broken up. P- people are arrested at funerals for for you know mm. chanting anti regime slogans, and some of these people are charged with like eighteen years of prison
0: for an act of protest.
1: For an act of protest, and and the ones the, the four guys who were executed, all of them were charged with things they had not done. They were charged with, you know, violence and for killing a Basiji, you know, a militia person for inciting unrest. None of them had done that. But what they had done was they had put up stories really glorifying the monarchy and what was and what can be. And Jeff, they were all four of them very athletic champions.
0: Well, it makes sense. They would want to get rid of or at least incarcerate. Um, the, cha- the champions, the strong, yeah. the brilliant, the, the creative, yeah. the oh, yeah. organizers. The I mean, that's pretty common when you're dealing with monsters like this.
1: Yeah, and then but but killing ten year olds, Jeff. No, it it's sh- a, it's, sh- a, it's sh- unimaginable.
0: It's just unimaginable.
1: And then denying all of it.
0: Yeah, of course. Well,
1: that's not even having the slightest bit of honor. Saying yes, no. If you don't lie about how your kid was killed. You can get into trouble. So you, they, you have to make a video confession. They make you do that. That, oh, my kid jumped out of the car, Jeff. My kid just jumped out of the car. They opened the door and they jumped out. Or, or my daughter jumped off of a building. Someone else, like including Master Amini, she had a childhood disease that was fatal. It's like yeah. how come nobody else knew about
0: this? Yeah, it just showed up that in five just seconds up. before she died. No, yeah, I understand these games by power brokers, the power-broking patriarchy. Whether it's gaslighting, denial, you know, various justifications for incarceration, lies, excuses, intimidation—all of these things have been going on, and they go on in every country, and they've been going on since the beginning of humanity. And it's this is the bane of our collective existence that these systems can exist. These systems can be enabled. These systems have all kinds of minions and middlemen who benefit economically or with respect to their status and their particular areas that they live in. The great and tragic irony is there is a very small percentage of them who are actually incarcerating on various levels a far larger populace. And that's the thing that we need to realize um, as a collective is that there are so many more of us than there are of them. And then we need to figure out the way to put an end to it.
1: There is there is so many more of us. people. There are so
0: many more of us, but we are so unbraved systemically, deliberately on purpose by power-broking elitist systems and structures because we feel so tiny and so small and fragmented. We don't realize that we can have an impact or have efficacy or exactly. can have any kind of influence. And that's the biggest mistake we've ever made. And you know, it it will serve us when we can finally find a way to now rebrave ourselves and, and yeah. to be willing to die for something called truth, to be willing to die exactly. for something called justice. I mean, I would rather die for truth and live a lie any day. And, you know, I think and that's what they say. yep And that's why right.
1: these 15, 16, 17 year olds are saying that, Jeff. They mean it. They, they are acting upon that.
0: Yeah. I, be- I, I they're believe they're
1: modeling that they this. It. Yep. They're modeling this for the rest of us that yep. to to really ask ask yourself, what is your purpose, and are you willing to die for it? Yes. What is this vision that's bigger than yourselves? What you were saying, you know, this um, how we've been rendered powerless really has so much to do with uh, our religions, and and it's in you know it it's just embedded in us. We've inherited it for for hundreds of years, thousands of years of this kind of thought
0: thinking absolutely it's designed to unbrave us and we
1: need to question we need to question all these systems and not just say oh yeah so and so is a prophet of of god (laughs) which god
0: well he's probably is a prophet p-r-o-f-i-t but he's probably not a prophet in any other regard he's certainly profiting from your disenfranchised state that's absolutely definitely
1: profiting definitely profiting (laughs) yeah all of us together. just kind of listening to all these, you know, silly um, people, to these silly, silly men, silly, silly men, men. just silly it, men, r- silly men in robes. They're yeah, so holy. I know,
0: it is so holy. <laughs> you change your name. They, you, you put on an outfit. You know, you 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 have various, um, you know, rituals and things that you do that you say have thousands of years of tradition. Which That's could right. mean thousands of years of bullshit, but nobody really it realizes is. that, and then people. It's really actually that. Is, yeah, it's absolutely. Act- it's actually it's-
1: from thousands of years of bullshit. Exactly.
0: That's the card they're carrying. Absolutely. Oh, so it's a ritual, all right. It's a ritual called stupidity. So, any last thoughts? I mean, is there any way? Is there access points financially? Are there GoFundMe? Is there any of those things even possible in that particular country to support some of these people, or is it not really a situation like that?
1: Well, you know, Jeff, there's um, a lot of people are on, are on strike, uh, because that's one way that you can nonviolently protest. That's a form of protest in Iran. In Iran. And so there are a lot of people who are on strike and, and that they obviously need financial support. And there are organizations that are being set up so that the money can go directly to these people. It's not easy to get money into Iran without it getting into the government's hands. Mm-hmm. But these organizations are starting to emerge where we can actually trust that the money is going directly to the people. Oh good. I will update you with that. please do yeah, please I will do. share the information with you.
0: So so um so thank you for not only sharing all of that but for bringing your dance of oneness message in embodied, grounded, real-time form to humanity. I try to talk, for the most part, on this podcast to people who, it appears to me, have been able to somehow, in this distracting, overwhelming, survivalistic world, to find something that I call the sacred purpose that they're here to bring into this life. And um, it strikes me as very obvious that you're one of those people. So thank you for having the courage to be that, and to bring those gifts, callings and offerings to our starving world.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much. You know, one, one thing that you and I share very much, uh, and uh, I think we try to inspire people with this all the time, is that if we are more present in our bodies, if we truly live in our bodies, we would have a different world. We're so uh, disembodied. Mm-hmm. We're either uh, in our heads or not anywhere at all in <laughs> in the head or the body, mm-hmm. just kind of flying somewhere else, mm-hmm. and and that's another way. That's another way. You know, uh, religions have hijacked our power. Of course, they've disembodied us. They they've sort of rendered the body as as this um, base thing that you need to transcend. Right, the house of sin mm-hmm. or um, the prison of the mind, prison of the soul. All of these absolute lies, I know that you encourage people, and I encourage people absolutely, and I do it through dance especially, to really cherish the body, cherish being in the body, and aim to be more whole. Mm -hmm. And once we are more whole, I think we would be less and less susceptible to being hijacked like the way we
0: have been. Well, and we'd be more vital, connected, integrated and energized to fight for everybody's right to the light from an embodied place. I mean, it's uh,
1: exactly and serve the greater good. Yeah. Yeah, that's really how we can serve the greater good.
0: I mean, that's the real revolution now. I think that we really need to understand that we need to really and this is why there's so much work around clearing the emotional debris and the trauma right now. It's because we know that if, if we're completely fractured and fragmented and emotionally armored. And unresolved, it's difficult for us to experience ourselves as centered, solid, and integrated. And so this is part of the embodiment journey to get back into our feet, in the words of Alexander Lowen, to get grounded, just to get grounded in reality, what I call presence as a whole, being an experiencer and realment. And that's the real revolution, because from that place, exactly. we will not be able to ignore the injustices before us, and we will feel vital and energized and have no other choice but to do something about them.
1: Exactly, because embodiment is absolutely related to sensing the interconnection between all that is. Exactly. once you're embodied, you it goes hand in hand. It's one and the same thing. You're embodied and you feel the interconnection in the interconnectedness of all that is. When we're in this disembodied, there's no way we can feel that interconnection.
0: No, and then and, and, that, and, and that's when they've got us. I mean, it's really really important to understand that these systems benefit from our disembodiment. The whole game is to disembody you. The moment you get in your body, you're more connected to your intuition and you're more likely to resist the bullshit that people are trying to feed you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the most dangerous thing for them Mm -hmm. is is for us to be embodied. And (laughs) the the beauty is that here you are. Here's your body. Just you can do it. You can do it. You don't actually need any anything other than uh, you and your intention, your wish and your desire,
0: your longing to be whole. And your bravery to go back inside of a place that you maybe haven't been connected to for a very long time, where there's all kinds of unreleased and unresolved trauma that's been pushed down and pushed away. I mean, right. And it's, all brave.
1: it's a brave pain, path. Pain. It is a brave path, but it's the only path. <laughs> it's the only path. As long as you have a body, you're meant to be in it.
0: Yes. <laughs> seems like common sense. Seems, obvious. seems, like, seems like common like sense. a lot
1: of common sense. It's like very obvious. But Hello. Hey. <laughs> it eludes us all the time. It eludes us all the time. Well,
0: some of us more than others. Wonderful.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Thank you.
0: Thank you for being with me. Over the moon and through stars, hell's come straight for my heart.
1: Hell's come straight for my heart. Hell's come straight for my heart. Hell's come Found me, yeah, over the
0: moon and through stars, arrows come straight for my